Hi, everyone. Kelly here. Before we get into this very special episode of I Spit on Your Podcast, I wanted to express a content warning of sorts. Because this is the audio version of our live video appearance at Final Girls Berlin Film Festival, there are facial expressions and body language missing, and therefore, some context is missing. The word gypsy is mentioned when discussing the film Alucarda from 1977, and since you can't see my body language, it will be very off-putting from an audio standpoint. I put the word in air quotes, but of course, listeners, you can't see this. I also didn't know at the time of the recording that this is in fact a racial slur. It is a slur used to describe Romani people. So who are the Romani? I didn't know. Maybe you don't know. More importantly, why do we need to remove the word gypsy from our vocabulary? Generally speaking, Romani are the largest ethnic minority in Europe, originating from Northwest India, migrating through the Middle East, and some through North Africa to Europe. There are Romani living around the world with estimates of 10 to 12 million living in Europe and another million in the U.S. Europeans imposed the word gypsy on Romani when they came to Europe, believing that they originated from Egypt because of their dark features. Romani have a history of persecution in Europe. It is estimated by Roma historians that over 70 to 80 percent of the Romani population was murdered in the Holocaust, a fact that is little known or even recognized. Even lesser known, Romani experienced chattel slavery in Romania for over 500 years, ending only in 1860. Although it is rarely talked about, the situation for Romani have not improved much. They are still victims of hate crimes, receive inadequate health care and housing, experience segregated education, and die in prison. This was not something I was aware of, and if I had been, I never would have said it. We all can learn to unlearn aspects of our language to be more progressive and kind. Thank you, and enjoy the episode. So uh, welcome to the I Spit on Your Podcast event. Let me just introduce you to our spinsters of horror, as they call themselves. Uh, (laughs) The spinsters of horror, Jessica and Kelly, flew onto the horror scene in July of 2018 to assist in filling the void of female voices in podcasting with their show, I Spit on Your Podcast. As women, they knew that the the genre is dominated by the masculine perspective, so they felt it was important to celebrate and encourage female horror fans, while at the same time remaining inclusive to all who love what horror has to offer. I Spit on Your Podcast is where two metal witches discuss horror movies and sometimes other mediums with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion. It's a semi-academic show with a dash of feminism, a sprinkle of sarcasm, but rich with intrigue and black comedy. They aren't afraid to tackle a tough subject matter like the rape revenge genre or stalking and obsession in the Halloween franchise, but they also like to have fun with discussions on Elvira, Buffy, heavy metal horror, and more. All right, so on to your episode on satanic feminism. Thank you. Well, Well, first off, we definitely want to say a huge, huge thank you to Final Girls Berlin Film Festival for accepting our pitch because they're very intrigued by it. And just for this wonderful opportunity to kind of present our our podcast live to everyone. So thank you. Thank you very much. Morbidly Beautiful is your macabre home away from home with horror news, reviews, editorials and more. And they support everyone in the horror community with um, from special effects artists, indie filmmakers, writers, women, LGBTQ folks and so much more. So please go check out our family over at morbidlybeautiful.com to find out more and now on with the show
So welcome to I Spit on Your Podcast, a monthly horror podcast brought to you by the Spinsters of Horror. This is the time once a month where Jess puts down her bloody knitting needles, and I step away from the TV to discuss horror movies and sometimes other horror mediums with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion. And like you guys already know, if you've been following us and listening to us for almost three, almost three years now, coming up to in July, we started our podcast, I Spit on Your Podcast, in July of 2018 because we felt like there was needed to be a void, needed to be filled for female voices of podcast. So as you know, the horror genre is dominated mostly by a masculine perspective, and we felt it was really time to celebrate and encourage other horror female fans at the same time remaining inclusive to all those who love horror. So you can find me behind the scenes editing the <laughs> podcast, writing and crafting, while Kelly, my co-host over here, is normally found in her dark basement with a black mug, with a black mug, with a mug of black coffee. <laughs> They're usually black. Up, yeah, <laughs> heading up our social media. And we're really excited for our first festival appearance, and I'm super nervous, and this is why I'm making mistakes already. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah, in this episode, we're finding our inner dark goddesses and discussing satanic feminism. So through the films Don't Deliver Us from Evil, Alucarda, Jennifer's Body, and The Witch, we will explore the representation and the importance of Satan as the image of an anti-patriarchal idol and source of empowerment for women. By highlighting the three main satanic opponents of the patriarchy, we have Eve, the Witch, and the Succubus, we will show that there is strength in darkness and power within embracing the ideology of Satan. Satanism. So pick your poison and listen on if you dare. So, Kelly, why did we choose these films? <laughs> so, Jessica, why did we choose these films? <laughs> Satanic feminism. Well, I'll briefly say first off that we've kind of been flirting with the idea for probably two years now. I feel like ever since Cosmic Horror episode in 2018, yep. I realize now that's technically an old episode of ours, um, but we started kind of talking about it then. And even, even before then, within like our first year, you brought it up on our appearance over at the Dead Ringers podcast, actually, when we talked about The Witch. Well, yeah, I've been interested in Satanic feminism ever since the Faculty of Horror, which seems to inspire a lot of the stuff that mm -hmm. I'm doing. Um, they talked about the book, A Satanic Feminism, um, Satan, a, a Liberator for Women by Prax Fernald. And I've been super interested in that. And I remember getting the book. Yeah, Kelly's got the big copy of it there. And I just thought it was time. And when we saw the, the call out for the film festival here, we we're just like, this is it. We are now going to uh, touch upon Satanic Feminism because we also, for the last year, have done a couple episodes uh, based around a Satanism when we did a heavy metal horror we touched upon satanic panic and then we did in our episode on satanic cults and of course the idea of women would come up and then on top of that too kelly and i are big huge fans of twin temple and love the satanic melodies of the group and of, of satan being both um, a woman as well as a liberator for women so i just thought it was time to do this and when kelly and i I started doing research into different films that we felt really represented these different aspects of satanic feminism. We came across these four films and did some research into them. We felt, okay, A, some of these are films that we've all wanted to see. Some of them are films we've seen many times because they're favorites of ours. And we're just like, let's open up this dialogue and talk about satanic feminism. Absolutely. So why don't you start us off, Jess, and talking about introducing folks, because not everybody really knows what that means. And that's something that we learned, you know, recently, what the concept and idea 
of satanic feminism? Like, what does that mean, really? Really, it goes back to this idea of the figure of Satan being an ally for women. So often, and we've seen historically, women are often accused of being influenced by the devil. Since the time of Eve eating the apple to the uh, folklore of Lilith being, you know, leaving Eden because she did not want to be uh, submissive to a man. In both of those figures, we see the figure of Satan offering these women a choice, a choice to no longer be dominated. And this tends to go back to said a lot about women in terms of being evil because, you know, we're sexually promiscuous or when we're single, we're independent. If we're, you know, homosexual, you know, it goes back to this idea that, well, this is still evil. However, we're finding, yeah, and we're finding out that there's this literary concept of Satan, um, a lot of times written during the Romantics, where they use the image of, of Satan to challenge the absolute authority of the church because they felt that what was happening with the laws and things that were being instituted was they were unjust and they discouraged free thinking and agency, which Satan, and we, we learned about when we learned about, uh, talked about the satanic temple and the church of Satan, is Satan's all about freedom and about liberty and rebellion. So then you come along and you have our own concept of feminism, you know, the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of equality of other sexes. However, our church at times deemed this to be satanic. This is not appropriate, that women should not be fighting for their rights or standing up for themselves or not or you know, being disobedient to their husbands. And if they are, they're being influenced by a, mal- a malignant force, something evil. But then you get some of these writers who come along and they start flirting with this idea of feminism, but then the, uh, the image, the literary image of Satan, and we get this idea of satanic feminism, which is... Absolutely. Yeah, go jump in. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll just, I could just keep going on with this. I know. It's so interesting. But uh, yeah, so folks, I'm sure we all know the tale of Eve and the serpent and the tree of knowledge and the apple, the forbidden fruit and everything. This is going back centuries, centuries old in the Bible, Genesis 3. And we all know who wrote this book and who has been interpreting it for centuries. Priests, men, our church fathers. And so those early, early interpretations of Eve were very negative. They're condescending. Essentially, you know, like Jess is saying, women are weak, we're gullible, we're curious by nature, rebellious by nature, and that's seen as a super negative thing. You're like, that is not your place. Men are superior to you. That's not what you should be doing with your time, right? And then so early on, Eve was seen as this like temptress. So sorry. So initially she wasn't necessarily seen as a temptress, but that came later on. And Mm -hmm. what's really interesting about this, you know, yeah, women are supposed to be silent and submissive but Eve was deeply curious. And those are where the counter readings start coming into play, right? They're like, okay, well, let's look at this differently. Was it bad that she wanted something more and outside of the Garden of Eden? There was something right there that I think she thought that it was like worth the risk. Like what's the worst that can happen? There's gotta be something more than this. And then Satan comes in and encourages this woman to seek knowledge and, you know, break this, you know, the confines of bondage and submissiveness to to Adam and to God in this Garden of Eden and essentially liberated her. And so, you know, for centuries, because of our church fathers and people interpreting this, prevented women from having any kind of agency, bodily autonomy, or anything. They prevented them from having, like, higher education for centuries. And so it's amazing to look at this counter-reading as a source of empowerment and seeing that Satan actually was an ally. Well, and it's super interesting because often the Bible goes back to saying about, you know, the sin of the first woman, and thus the sin of the first woman will be the curse of all for all women, which is thus womanhood. And the fact that when women go through labor, 
our pain while giving birth is our punishment from God for seeking knowledge and seek and being curious or, or stepping beyond the bounds of what we are supposed to be following, right? And in a lot of uh, religious church leaders, like they, they run on that and they say, well, do you not see this? That Eve, she's, women are inherently evil. They have this weakness to them. They're evil. They're able to be easily misaligned by Satan, a serpent. And this end up leading to men being kicked out of paradise. And then on top of that, other uh, religions like the Calvin and Protestants um, would talk about, about Eve having strayed from her husband's protection. And that on top of that, because Adam should have known better, he should not have let Eve out of his sight. And that would have never happened. So it's once again, it was like this idea that you cannot let women out from under your control. You need to keep them contained within a box, within the domestic sphere to keep them in control. And in any woman who steps outside the box is a transgressor. They're seen as evil. And what's really interesting is that during the romantic periods and the timing of where they started this idea of satanic feminism, you get this idea of embracing the outsider status and using that as a tool to dismantle archaic and oppressive modes of oppression. It's all about bodily autonomy, which is central to satanic philosophy and a lot of satanic feminism. We're all about fighting for own female bodily autonomy, having control over our reproductive rights, dismantling the religious institutions that influence the secular rules and the regulations that keep us from being independent beings and having control over our own bodies. So when uh, Milton was talking about the portrayal of, and this is where this whole flip the script of Eve came from, from the romantics, when they were flirting with feminism, flirting with like satanic ideas because they didn't like the amount of control the church was having over society in general, the lack of creativity and the lack of social liberties, they take this idea of Eve and they say, well, guess what? Let's flip this script. Let's say that Eve and Satan saw each other as equals and Satan's like, I believe that you deserve knowledge. You deserve equality. And I'm here to provide that to you. We are allies in this arrangement. Absolutely. So essentially what you're saying is that Satanism itself and then within that satanic feminism, it's a philosophy and an idea, a concept of rebellion <laughs> independence, yes. um, which is obviously vital, or at least the independence aspect of it, to general feminist philosophy. We need to be able the freedom, freedom, to do what we want <laughs> with our lives and our bodies without interference, which is what God and the church and generally cisgendered men in these authoritative roles want to do. So satanic feminism kind of like takes it one step further and it's bodily autonomy, like you said, yeah, absolutely is central to our to the philosophy i almost said our oh am i a satanic <laughs> feminist now probably say, yeah we can <laughs> I feel like we're converted. <laughs> I'm probably converted. But essentially, Satan represents defiance, rebellion, independence, wisdom, self-empowerment, autonomous mind, subjectivity, self-sufficiency, creativity, radical freedom. And yeah, Satan is the, our ally, a feminist ally, the emancipator of, of women and providing that opportunity to desire and get more from our life mm -hmm. and to oppose all of those rules. So, like we said in our little intro, there are three main figures. Thank you from our book here, our main text and source of absolute inspiration for this. Yes. Our three main figures of female relationships with Satan, and then these three figures that are like the main opponents of the patriarchy, which will boil it down, kind of scratch the surface a little bit of it and talk about these three images. But there's Eve, our first transgressor, 
with also a dabbling of, of Lilith, our demonic woman, our succubus or demon's lover, and then the witch, our sinister rebel. Which I love in all of this because in all these three imageries that we're talking about, these all these archetypes, is Lilith is seen throughout this, her influence, her impact. And I've written about her quite a few times. Um, and I know she's really just based off of Jewish folklore, but, you know, in all areas of uh, European and Jewish folklore, like talk to her about, you know, being the wife of Satan, the, the first woman to say, you know, screw you. I am not gonna, I'm like, I'm not gonna lay under you. I want on top. I'm in control here. <laughs> you know when she's being forced to go back into the garden and she tells the angels no i am not going back and they're like well if you if you don't go back to the garden we're gonna kill all your children she's like fine and i'll kill all your children like i'm not gonna <laughs> you're not gonna force me to do something i don't want to do right yeah and that's the image of the succubus apparently like the the succubus is uh related back to uh lilith and the idea of the witch you know so many women relate to the idea of lilith as a figurehead for witches absolutely so let's get into our first First films of, of the episode, uh, Alucarda and Don't Deliver Us from Evil. So Jess, what's your story around these two films? What's your experience with them? Well, my experience with these both films, A, they're both the first time watched for the podcast, but I've heard about both of them. I've heard about Alucarda so many times. Like I read a, a great I make a great article about Alucarda in Grimm Magazine, um, one of their issues. And so it was, there are films that I was familiar with, but I hadn't had the opportunity to watch. So new episode watches. Excellent. So same for me. I actually hadn't really heard of Don't Deliver Us from Evil. I had heard of Alucarda for many, many, many years. There's no reason why I didn't watch it it seemed like it was right up my alley but i've heard about it for such a long time and yeah grim magazine i read an article about satanic feminism represented in alucarda i was like okay i need to get down and watch this movie side note it's on youtube for free so if you really want to watch the movie there it is so nice. it's it's out there it's easy access <laughs> exactly so Jess what did you like about these two films so what I liked about these two films okay so I'll go a la carta what I liked about it is that it is a very succinct films like I said it is an hour and 12 minutes it tells its story in a nice good pace and I love that it is dark and there's so much room for interpretation and symbolism like I will probably go back and watch a la carta again and talk about more of the different elements that come up from it and that's what I really enjoyed about it and the relationship between the two women like there's just so much going on loved it delivers from evil I didn't love this film and I can say that for other reasons when we get to our dislikes but I really love the final scene of this movie mm. <laughs> and I don't want to spoil it for anyone but for yeah. a film that is kind of slow paced and just kind of like bouncing along it is really intense at the end and it for me it felt like true horror at the moment so I didn't dislike this film but there are elements of it I wasn't a huge fan of that's fair okay so for me Alucarda holy shit <laughs> it is grim as fuck like, it's more blood-soaked than I even thought it could be. Yes. It's really dark. It's fast-paced. I like that runtime. I don't have a lot of patience <laughs> for long movies. I love the aesthetics of it. The psychedelic score, which was very surprising, but it's from the 70s. So, uh, yeah, let's I throw that into this grim yes. movie. <laughs> psychedelic music all the way. <laughs> 
especially when it comes down to like the forest ritual that music like the score is so wonderful and weird the imagery is fantastic the super grim church that has about a billion crucifixes all over the wall like it is suffocating in there yeah it's yeah. very oppressive feeling in there like i can imagine why all these people are afraid all these women are afraid sometimes it kind of had like this fantastical fun element to it which i liked a lot so i ended up loving alucarda so this it was such a fun wonderful movie and i echo your sentiments on there's a lot going on in that short runtime. it's yeah. it deserves many watches to get everything from it there's a lot going on don't deliver us from evil i have a hard dislike for the movie which we'll get into our when we talk about our dislike so in the end i did not like this movie so jess what are your dislikes well for alucarda the only thing i disliked about this movie and it had it took it and i really had a hard time getting it out of my head because it was very just disturbing was the the nun garment like all <laughs> like the disturbing imagery like you said like the, the church and stuff like that being very yeah. oppressive and like that's kind of that's really scary to me and like it was in like a cave and everything i'm sitting yeah. like what's supposed to be i'm like this church is supposed to be all about god but i feel it's very <laughs> evil like it doesn't yeah. make sense here but the nuns garments really mm -hmm disturbed me throughout it because they are pure white and they're covered their heads and there's they look like they are just like splashed in blood all the time and like as the movie goes on it gets the blood like the gets more intense and i kept like obviously i'm probably gonna write something about this because like it looks like you know they're expelling their menstrual blood half the time and it's it's very uncomfortable yeah. to watch and then for don't deliver us from evil it is very rapey which i did not like i was not a huge fan of that and the killing of the birds you and i are yeah we're both on the same purge the moment you kill a real animal in any kind of horror movie or movie in general done there's no need um Absolutely. Yeah. Don't Deliver Us From Evil was unexpectedly very rapey. There's so content warnings if folks ever want to watch this. There's a lot of sexual assault, predominantly on the same young girl. And same it's girl, yeah. very disturbing. And I had no idea that like when you read about this movie you don't really hear about that and i feel like we probably should uh so mm -hmm. for alucarda um nothing i kind of liked and disliked the the costuming in the sense that i agree with you the nun's habits were very disarming they kind of look like blood-soaked gauze bandages yes. wrapped around them like mummies there is a it was a very peculiar costume choice but hello alucarda's amazing black dresses through the entire thing like so old victorian but even older like style dresses and she was always in black so yeah. that was great <laughs> <laughs> right so again i'm with jess if you kill animals for your movie it's a hard no and a hard don't like you so they kill two birds i had to look it up while we watch this i'm like are they actually killing them yes they do so again content warnings if folks watch this literally killed two beautiful little sweet innocent birds mm. for the movie so fuck the movie the end it was also very <laughs> slow <laughs> but mainly you killed animals so yeah there's yeah. that <laughs> both yeah and we're just saying just both as vegans and very strong about animal rights we are not in support of that so anyway these films both of these films represent to us some elements of satanic feminism that we felt were important to discuss and some of them are quite strong in certain areas and some of them not so much but i know one of the things as we are talking about like you know lilith and eve the figures of our two our female protagonists in both these films in alicarda we have just Dean and Carta, and then we have in Don't Deliver Us From Evil, Laura and Anne. And when Kelly and I were talking about our discussions and stuff like this, we were starting to see like, we're seeing representations of both these women as Eve and Lilith. You know, it's 
we'll go first to uh, Justine. She is a young woman who arrives at the convent after what appears to have experienced some sort of loss in her life. And she looks very innocent, you know, kind of very pure. Um, the way her dresses are always done, they're much they're much lighter. And then, and then she meets Alicarda, this very intense, darkly clad woman who's like instantly like, I'm in love with you. I want to <laughs> Right and away. she like talks about death all the time. All the time. She's so yeah. grim. <laughs> and she's like, she's like our Lilith figure, right? She and Absolutely. we know, and we, and we get a sense that she there is probably some kind of satanic background from her because of the way the movie starts. It's um, her. We are assuming it's her mother having been involved in some sort of satanic ritual, and then a child is born from that, and then the child ends up at a convent, and we assume that's Alicarda. And so she already yeah. kind of has this kind of like demonic style origin. I had to look up a little bit more about Lilith because like. Jess has written about this subject matter numerous times. You grew up in like a religious household. Mm -hmm. That's not my experience. So a lot of this stuff is like actually quite new to me and like going back to learning about Eve. Like when was the last time we talked about Eve? You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I was I was really curious to learn a little bit more about Lilith, um, but Jess kind of talked about her a little bit earlier. But yeah, her children were identified as like the incubi, succubi. She was a demoness, children murderer. She was maybe a vampire, a seductress, an ancient femme fatale as they say and you absolutely can see this in the alucarda character she's very grim dark she's always in black she's not afraid of death no. she talks about death all the time she's like you have to die we all die <laughs> but she's drawn to the darkness and she's yeah. very curious she talks about like i found all these secrets i want these secrets and she is the one who is the seeker of knowledge between the two between justine she's still a little bit justine's still a little bit like hesitant about things like she runs kind of like follows along with Alucarda in the movie but you know she's she's almost seen more as like the Eve character she's still a little bit more innocent and everything but Alucarda is just like this very strong-willed woman and so when they're playing around in the forest they meet up with this random dude and they are represented as gypsies so I'll say that they're like people of the woods and they're like hey I've got some things over here do you want to check it out and Alucarda's like yep we're going <laughs> for it Justine hesitates which is a very natural reaction, but you have Alucard has been like, yep, I am a seeker of knowledge. I want more from this. And they go for it. And I love that. Yeah. And then what's interesting about the character too, about Justine is that she is kind of that Eve figure in the sense that she doesn't know where to follow right away. Right. Because she really wants to follow with Alucarda because Alucarda is introducing her to, you know, very natural elements and about, you know, about life and freedom. You know, the hair is always flowy. I always love it whenever I see films with women, yeah. you know, who are that, that show that kind of witchy type architect, you know, the long flowing hair and then you have the opposing there's a nun who has developed feelings you can tell of protection over justine and she's kind of like the adam figure so like alucard is kind of our satan figure and then the uh, nun who wants to protect justine is like our adam figure or our god figure you know wanting right. to make sure not to, that she doesn't stray from the path of a pure life under uh, as, a, as a bride of Christ type thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I guess we could just get into the blood ritual. So like you were saying, Justine doesn't really know. She kind of hesitates. She's not really sure, but like she's really into Alicarda because like every like we're drawn to charming, charismatic, dark figures, right? As you know, that's Satan and a lot of these kind of these films and what we learned about in this book, you know, this dark figure, but also there is uh, some freedom and independence through following that that figure. And so even though she's kind of hesitant throughout it, 
they go and meet up with these people in the woods and they have what we see as a like a blood ritual and you kind of see in both of these movies don't deliver us from evil and alucarda this like marriage of blood and like this blood communion let's call it for them but first off and we even have a clip of this the um if for alucarda and justine doing their i'm gonna call it a blood communion because that's essentially what it is this ritual of bringing them together exactly and what's interesting is i'm like i brought back to the dichotomy is we see the element of someone trying to save justine's soul So you have Alucarda and she's like that, again, that seeker of knowledge and everything. She wants to find out more things. And and so she went into the forest and what did she gain? Satan and independence and and power. Because in that very oppressive church in the cave, for whatever reason, you know, it's all about like, do as you're told via God. You're going to burn in hell. Seek nothing else. God is all wise. God is wisdom. Satan will get you and he'll harm you. What does Justine <laughs> and Alucarda really get? from that convent oppression right and we see that as well in don't deliver us from evil with Laura and Anne. they're they're even younger girls and they're very mischievous they kind of take this kind of to like the next level this really dark place but they're young pious virginal quote-unquote virginal women in these convent type environments for the girls it's like a very religious kind of like private school then for Alucarda and Justine it's uh, an actual convent like convent orphanage yeah absolutely and these movies have a lot of a lot of things in common and I think feel like we went into this blind and then they were perfect um perfect matches for each other because the other thing that they have hugely in common which is hugely controversial, blasphemous, and deviant is that both these movies are very gay. These women are very queer and it's it's yeah. amazing to see, but they're all lesbians. There's nuns that are lesbians and don't deliver us from evil, but they do have that kind of combination and lesbians are dark and evil and invert and everything when it comes to the eyes of like priests and nuns and God and like you cannot be homosexual that is something that is very transgressive that's linked to Satan you're highly sexually promiscuous and they're supposed to be frightening you're demonic and it's very oppressive again so these young girls are in these highly oppressive environments seeking connection and they find it in other women they do they find it in each other both with uh, Justine and Alicarda end up making a death pact together to, to remain together and it's the same with Laura and Anne they also make uh, make a pact to remain together and no, nothing would ever separate them and then they're surrounded by all like all kinds of other women but they're not necessarily seeing a very positive representation of women they're seeing a very repressed representation of women even in the scene when in don't deliver us from evil Anne flies on two of the nuns and she witnesses a scene of affection of intimacy between two of the nuns and she goes to the priest to say 
this is what I saw. And she's conflicted. She doesn't know if this was right or wrong, but the priest is like, well, what you saw is inappropriate in the eyes of God. And, you know, and she's kind of confused. And this is why we'll, and we will see later why she ends up making the decision to turn to Satan, because she knows that in Satan, her love is seen as valid. Her affections are seen as valid because as early, like of the, as the 19th century, a lot of texts on lesbianism were often produced by men and often in fields of the med of medicine, journalism, and criminology, and then also in, in prose, so poets and stories. It's interesting in the more medical and uh, journalistic and criminology fields, it was often written in a very negative way, seen as a uh, vice that needed to be curbed, and there was a lot of very negative as to it, whereas in fiction and poetry, it ends up being related a lot to Satanism. And what's really interesting when we were reading in our book, uh, Satanic Feminism, was how often when homosexuality was attacked, it was often related to Satan, and people would blame, everyone knows of Sappho, for having devised a method for women to get off without men, for women to empower themselves and not have to be reliant upon men for their own sexual gratifications or pleasures, right? And by the end of the 19th century, particularly in Great Britain for some reason, you know, homosexuality was regarded as a satanic. And we all understand that we understand that we have, we've experienced that. I've experienced, you know, my own coming out as a bisexual woman and being called demonic and, you know, being tempted away by Satan. That's a whole other story. And I think I've talked about this before, <laughs> but <laughs> many of these stereotypes came from Western countries, you know, stating that lesbianism was demonized and it was often connected back to religion. And it's because we read lesbianism and often lesbianism religion would be connected. And this came from an idea of uh, Dennis Diderot's La Religieux, the nun, which talks about a lot of the homosexual relations between nuns, which we see present in both the films, not as overtly in Alucarda, but it is because of the way the nun has this extreme fixation on Justine and saving her soul and thus her body, right? And so often, it was often a very strong critique against uh, lesbianism. Often it was related to satanic imagery and in, in a purpose to make it look bad, to make it look wrong. But yeah. in other aspects, you know, when we watch in these films, it is seen as liberating its freedom. It is a, it's acceptance. It is allowing oh. who they want to be with regardless of gender. Absolutely. And the one thing that Alucarda has that Don't Deliver Us From Evil has is possession or at least claimed possession. So yes. early on, again, 17, 1800s, uh, medical professionals thought of lesbianism as a degenerate disease. It's hereditary. It's a medical cause. It's a problem and also could be a cause of possession. Mm -hmm. You must be possessed by the devil. And that's why you're like all, you know, sexually, you know, excessive and you want to fornicate with women. You want to fornicate with Satan too. But you claim that these women are possessed and that removes all agency from these women mm -hmm. and we see that with these characters well, we see that and in alicarda for sure absolutely and all of these young women are demonized but they've taken that demonization and they've subverted it and turned it into a source of power and, and agency and this unsettles our priests and our nuns and our well and essentially anti-feminine Christian symbolism. And Alucarda, they think that they're possessed and that just takes all elements of what's natural and fine and okay and good with these, these young women away from them. And what I like and will go to Don't Deliver Us From Evil is another kind of like blood communion, a blood union, but truly they have a satanic 
marriage. And we have a clip of that as well. Yeah. So to kind of build some context around this clip throughout the movie of Don't Deliver Us From Evil, we have seen scenes of Anne and Lore taking things from the church. You know, um, they're taking the Holy Communion, they're taking garments and stuff like that in preparation for this uh, marriage. You know, even though I don't like the movie, some scenes like that one particularly are so good. And it's so strong within our concept of satanic feminism. Just like you said, Jess, in the eyes of God and in this very narrow-minded view of the religion that they follow or they have to follow because they're young girls, what they're this what they're doing is so blasphemous. <laughs> so blasphemous. And I just like cheer for them. I, I, um, I, I love it. My, my old Catholic background was like watching <laughs> scenes when they're like taking the host and I'm like explaining it to you. I'm like, oh yeah. my gosh, you didn't ingest the host. That is blasphemy. <laughs> and I was like, what's the host? <laughs> my old religious background being like coming in like, oh, this is all very symbolic what's happening here, you know, because they're breaking that bond or that force upon bond with the church to be who they want to be, to be themselves. And they, so they think by doing what they're doing, they are giving kind of like the biggest middle finger to God by saying, I'm going to lie with Satan now because who Absolutely. I am as a woman, who I'm as an individual and my feelings for a partner here for Lore and Anne, this is true. And I know because, and we see how when Anne has that conversation with the priest about what she saw, this confliction and she's conflicted. Yeah. Even throughout the rest of the movie, she's conflicted. There's times where she cries and she feels bad for what she's done. But I'm like, you're in love. You're you you're in love with a woman, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. And I remember after watching that film, remembering thinking of heavenly creatures and be like, oh yes, this is kind of very symbol symbolism of this. Well, I think we are good to move on to our next figure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Let's do it. So that's our demon woman, our succubus, and the movie is Jennifer's Body. <laughs> Um, so what uh, was your experience, Jess? I think you were one of those late to the gamers. <laughs> I was definitely one of those late to the gamers. I remember when Jennifer's Body was for, first came out and saw like the previews and stuff like that. I remember being like, I'm not going to watch that movie once again. So horror genre, you know, objectifying Megan Fox and stuff like that, you know, and I was very naive. I didn't know what I knew, know now. So it, I was very late to the game. And then I picked up my own copy of it a couple of years ago because I heard so much about it and had people talking about how it was having a renaissance and having a very positive uh, interpretation of it. And I've watched it and I am definitely a huge fan of Jennifer's body. I've written about this piece in the last issue of Grim Magazine number seven, Teenage Wasteland, and about everything it represents in this film. For me, I actually watched Jennifer's body around the time that it came out. Not like I saw it in theaters, but probably a year or two later. Um, so I was one of those people that saw it in the beginning and enjoyed it from the beginning. It's a movie that is exactly my type of thing. Like, it's my cup of tea, let's say. Um, so I I'm really, really glad. I'm one of those, again, one of those people that's really glad that it's kind of had this like resurgence and people are discovering it and seeing how wonderful and fun it really is. And I adore this movie. Adore it. <laughs> so what do you like so much about it then? Oof, I love the dialogue so much. Dialogue it's just so like good. so witty and well-written. I love it. And it 
kind of brings me back to the old days of Buffy, honestly. Just like they created their own language on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And this is like its own thing altogether. Like Megan Fox was so brilliant in this movie. I loved her in this. Mm-hmm. It, I know she's been in a bunch of other things, usually not horror. So I haven't really seen them. Sorry. (laughs) I watched so much horror. Anyways, so I thought she was great. I love the premise of it. I love how openly they kind of talk about sex and sexual activities. You know, they talk about the the power of female sexuality early in the film, that our boobs are super powerful. Like, um, Jennifer grabs onto Needy and is like, do you know how powerful these things are? And I'm like, yes, yes, they are. They are. And that's okay to know that. And it's okay to own that. And I I just love that kind of feeling. in the movie. I'm a sucker for teenage girl horror. I love it. I also love a good slow motion walk down a high school <laughs> hallway. The craft, jawbreaker, ginger snaps. There's many of them. All cheerleaders <laughs> die. Like I love it so much. And the last thing I'll say that I really like um, is the whole reference, whole the band from the 90s folks. And the song at the end, it ends with a whole song. And it's just like this whole movie is a whole mood and vibe for me that I love so much. How about you? Well, you've said a lot of what I enjoy as well. Like I said, the dialogue is very quotable. It's very memorable scenes. I love the actress Amanda Siegfried. I have seen so much of different things of her in it. She's just mm. so great. And I've revisited this film. And I remember when a couple times I revisit this film and everyone talks so much about um, the image of Jennifer and what she represents, stuff like that. But my last time I talked about this film, I went in and talked about Needy and how much of a great yeah. character she really is and how much she grows yeah. as a woman throughout the, the entirety of the film. And I just love the relationship between the two women, how both it's simple and complex at the same time too. Yeah. Um, it's just everything. And I also love the mythology around the succubus. Like, I just think it's so cool when things get show about different succubus and stuff like that and how we can uh, broach that topic. Absolutely. Do you have any dislikes? Uh, I'm pretty sure our dislikes are the same, but I dislike... <laughs> the band low shoulder and that song <laughs> to the trees. oh my god <laughs> and chip i have a i i have a tofu with chip <laughs> his gaslighting of needy all the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah my only dislike is low shoulder but i feel like that is how i'm supposed to feel because i wrote it in such a perfect way to be like they are the actual villains of this entire film and they are disgusting yes. and yeah they make my skin crawl. I hate their music and I pretty much hate everything about them. And again, I think I'm supposed to, so they did a good job. (laughs) No, they definitely did a great job making us cheer for Jennifer and Needy. Well, yeah. And cry a little. It's sad at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's quite the story. Um, So getting into our demon woman, our succubus, and this, you know, the concept's been around for centuries, artists, performers, independent women, they took on this mysterious persona of our demon woman. You know, the demon woman, like, and so what a succubus is, and many people should know, but if you don't, it is a female demon who often takes the form of a human woman in order to seduce men and usually through sexual, and is usually done through sexual intercourse. Sometimes a succubus may appear in your dreams. She's often depicted as very attractive and they're, but they're generally very frightening and very demonic. So when a succubus (laughs) is done with you, 
She'll probably eat you because she's done with you. <laughs> um, succubus are also known as Lilith. So this is where this connection with uh, yeah. Lilith come in, comes in and uh, in the Sumerian uh, Blyli. And they tend to draw energy from men to sustain themselves. So usually they do it to the point of exhaustion or death for the victim. So usually their victims die, either if they eat them or just taking all the energy out of them. Absolutely. And so I think out of like all the figures that we talk about today and that we research, this is the one that kind of stands out the most to me. And maybe in a more personal way, like the figure uh, Lilith, the demon woman, the succubus. So again, great, great book if you're at all interested in any of these ideologies or at least the symbolism between behind all of this is so good. Mm -hmm. um, so like embracing demons, as we see in this film, like satanic serpent motifs, which you've seen in old turn of the century demon women or women that took on the persona of the demonic is really another, we'll say, middle finger or whatever to criticizing conservative Christian values and rejecting them again on a symbolic level. So much of this is about the symbol. Mm -hmm. of these women of these characters and so demonism is one of the ways that registers about uh, on the symbolic resistance that is available for rebellious women so you bring on this demonic persona they use satan and the demonic as markers of our female rebellion there's supernatural elements to it the occult femme fatale it's empowering it's subversive and i really see this in jennifer's body and like she already she already is like a powerful young woman in her high school she's absolutely beautiful she's very flirty she's got that voice that like men would be really drawn to like the very like light and quote feminine she wears this like pink and hearts and stars and like even though that's not a look that i generally like <laughs> i love that she has like this well she's this succubus demonic woman but she looks like that she again that slow motion walk down the hallway she's where everything's like bright pink this like bubblegum pop princess of a high school but she will eat your soul and shit <laughs> it out and i love that so you can take this like transgressive woman this transgressive idea of the demonic woman the demon woman the succubus but you also can retain some of our quote traditional feminine traits and, and virtues and our styles and keep it because it still is a complete refusal of a quote from the book placid domesticity and the succubus is like the men, men's worst fears of feminists as quote vengeful castrating harpies and that is jennifer and jennifer's body <laughs> well, i love it well especially because like the way the film starts like she's like she's not the like we, we know she gets like turned into the demon but like you said in the beginning of the film she is confident in herself and she's already it, there yep you no know, exactly she's already there like some people argue be like oh she's just she's pushing too much to overcome something or to maybe hide some self-esteem issues but i'm like no jennifer's confident she just she knows herself and she's very you know even though she's kind of hard on needy she's very protective of her but when we see her and i i, I I love how when low shoulders like oh you know we're gonna sacrifice the virgin so we become famous and it backfires on them and absolutely turns, she turns into this man-eating succubus <laughs> and she is essentially out for revenge like she's not just like whereas needy is concerned about the people who are in danger because of what jennifer is doing at the end when needy ends up becoming a succubus herself she uses that same power and that same feral femininity to take back revenge and to right the wrong that had been done to her friend her friend had been kind of you know had been well she was murdered without consent essentially well no 100 
accent. Sorry, that seems so random. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but from the start, Jennifer is our Lilith figure. From the very getting to the yeah. moment of the satanic ritual to when she yeah. comes back and she's demonized yep. and she's a, literally a man-eating succubus. She enacts <laughs> revenge on the weak-willed men, just as Lilith was said to do. And that's how she maintains her strength and her beauty and her supernatural powers. Absolutely. And we have a wonderful clip of Jennifer killing a young boy. You made it. This isn't really your house, is it? No, baby. This is our house. Just for you and me. You can play mommy and daddy. No way. I need you frightened. I need you hopeless. So, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I really feel like Jennifer was never an Eve. She never, she was born a true Lilith figure. And then when she becomes the succubus, like that just elevates her. That just brings her up a notch to just become this strong, extra free woman. And I, I love it particularly in that scene and throughout the whole movie. And we also see it throughout all of these movies that you wouldn't go as a female identifying person. You would not go to some strange abandoned house to meet a man. No. Unfortunately. And so what we have in here is Jennifer subverting those kind of like tropes in horror movies as well, where the woman's always the victim. And even though I guess technically she kind of was at one point, but yeah, it backfires and she gets revenge. And we don't often get that in movies. And so I really, really love that she becomes this figure that is kind of destroying the patriarchy one young boy at a time. And I, I just, I love that. And so she's kind of like this satanic, demonic, independent, fiercely independent woman. And this is what is going to resonate with women. We like to see these kind of figures, these kind of archetypes. And I know for myself, this kind of archetype really stands out to me. Well, and particularly like the I, the concept of the demonic woman, you know, as, a, as addresses typically um, the motif of actively assuming roles that are outside the standard role in which a woman is supposed to be trained. Like women yes. who... Yeah. You know, they're in, they embrace like you know the various different satanic serpent motifs. You know, because it allows an opportunity of rebellion when women take on these kind of like demonic personas. These demonic personas are not necessarily like you know actually being a demon and eating people. Sometimes yeah. it's literally just flirting with satanic imagery to use in terms of sense of like a language of resistance. You know, we've had a lot of famous people in the past like uh, Theta Bear, Lucia Casita, and Sarah Bearheart, who are all women who they broke the gender norms by transgushing boundaries by discarding the notions of what is appropriate for women and typically women are demonized whenever we fall outside the idea of what's appropriate for us you know if we become self-employed that's not right yeah. you know if we participate if we participate in male activities especially back in the day if you wore pants i was gonna say Everything. if you wore pants <laughs> you wear pants? demon 
you were you're you're transgressing a feminine uh, yeah. a, a boundary and so while some of these women yeah. are, and not necessarily all these women are directly feminist but they're tr using tr transgressive behavior that are being role models so they're breaking yeah. the idea of being not the angel of the household and this is what yeah. many people love and this is why like an actress like theta bear was very famous among her fans because they love the fact that she had this on-screen personas that were all about undoing men in devilish ways which is exactly what we see um jennifer and jennifer's body and we also kind of see the same way for needy and i'm like a huge proponent for the character of needy in the film because she, <laughs> she's a woman who grows so much from being like trying to fit yeah. within the norm trying to follow what's appropriate for him but then when she sees what's going on and no one is listening to her and she's yeah. being gaslit by her boyfriend stuff like that and then she's like i'm gonna take things into my own hands and when then she realizes that she becomes a demon herself and she gets out and she goes after the little shoulder i'm just like yes because not only that she's not what she did was not because she's mad at jennifer in any way she's mad because of what happened to her friend someone she loved a lot and that's one other thing that jennifer's body flirts with them flirts with is lesbianism in the film this unique relationship between these two women who love and care for each other a lot like a sisterhood and when her sister that she ended up having to uh, i hate to say it, it's so harsh but eliminate because she was you know not controlling her abilities and she was kind of just going a little while with it and needy's like no 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 you're gonna hurt yourself you're gonna hurt others you know i need I need to stop this. So she goes after a low shoulder because like, because of them, she lost her best friend. She lost someone who, who she cared about deeply. And she had, she had to take on the demon, the persona of, of the demon to seek out revenge. And a big thing that will help transition us into talking about our final film, The Witch, is the representation and aspect of femininity, womanhood, and nature. The wild and untamed nature. So the demon woman to me is not only connected with nature and you see it each time that Jennifer kind of goes into full kind of succubus mode and kills in the woods with a football guy all the animals come around them in the scene with the boy in the house rats are all of a sudden around and at the final and the end of the film they're in this underground pool and it's overgrown with nature and weeds and vines and plants so for me the demon woman is not only connected with nature but she actually is one with it historical demon women in art and literature were fascinated and surrounded by nature animals either in their clothing and their pets or both and after in such a beautiful wonderful scene in the movie jennifer kills uh, that football player and then takes a dip in the lake mm -hmm. and i love that it's so serene and she's amongst nature so for me how i see it is she's shedding her feminine destiny of passive suffering and becoming the demonic feminine i love it i love it that is and that is once again another theme we see throughout already three of these films are discussed with you know a la carta don't deliver us from evil don't deliver us from evil those women are outside all the time they are frolicking among the trees and playing in the water it was the same in a la carta justina a la carta out and among woods yeah. the wild woods and trees same in jennifer's body out among nature and this is where often women have been told where evil lies it is in the woods you know stay out of the woods you will you know you will become possessed you, you know dangerous things happen in the woods because women we are naturally um earthly figures and what's connected to the earth and what is often portrayed as not of being of earthly pleasures satan and you cannot you know so this is where once again women and satan become these natural allies because we're of earthly elements exactly we have one final clip before we move on to the witch and it's one of my favorite moments of jennifer's body <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go. I am a god. 
Love it. Love Love it. it. Because we're at the one hour mark. We've got one movie left and we saved almost the best for last. Saving the best. So so now we're going to move on to The Witch. And I know Jess's story because I I showed it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. This was actually a movie that as soon as I saw it, I knew immediately that I had to show it to you. And even though it was like still you were relatively new, it was early in your horror journey. I just knew that this was a movie that you would 100% appreciate. I knew you liked witches, but just beyond that, like just the artistry of it and the folklore and historical aspects, I just I just had this feeling that you'd be really into it. Yeah, no, and you were 100% right. Like, I remember seeing this in your small little apartment way back in the day. <laughs> we had, like, the surround sound around us, oh, and I just remember boy. being like... I'm super excited. I'm super into this film. And I remember someone warning me prior before watching it, being like, oh, right. you're going yes. to, yeah, they're like, you're going to find this film disturbing. You may not like it. And I was like, I remember watching, finishing the film, like, what was disturbing about this? This was amazing. <laughs> I was blown away. Yeah. Yeah. I totally forgot that, that little tidbit. Yeah. I remember somebody warning you about that. And I thought, Maybe one part, folks, the 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 raven part. Like, that's kind of cringeworthy, oh. but it's not necessarily disturbing, and I see that in a very objective way. I didn't think that that was going to be, like, a game changer or anything for you, like a, an end point or, you know, whatever. And I went back and I asked that person, I said, what was the scene that you thought that would make me be like, no, I'm not going to like this? And they're like, oh, the scene with the baby, and I just cackled. I was just like, oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> well, it's not like we actually saw anything. Right, it's not exactly. one of those types of movies. I've watch those movies where you actually hello Serbian film where you don't even see you don't even see stuff in that so yeah. no 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 exactly but also like do they know you <laughs> of it, course you're gonna cackle <laughs> babies are being it's ground witch- up to mush yeah it's witchcraft <laughs> and the fact that the witch blends in that historical as well as folklore fear of the witches it just yes. made sense for a scene of, of that nature right that <laughs> people feared that witches were gonna eat their babies I think for me I might have heard about it in Rue Morgue magazine again this is a long time ago so I don't exactly remember but it definitely looked maybe I just watched a trailer for it but I was really intrigued and um, I guess we'll get into our likes but the, one of the big things that really stood out to me like watching the trailer is the score I am Ugh. a big big fan of the score yeah. it is so intense and wonderful and spooky like if you put your headphones on and just listen to the score it's I have. (laughs) Yes, yes, me too. It definitely could raise some hair on the back of your neck and on your arms and things. It's it's spooky. It's spooky. Yeah. (laughs) I just love this movie. I love the premise. Again, the score. I love the acting, the wide shots of the woods, because there's many of those. Yeah. I love the blending of fantasy and folklore and horror together. Like somehow it feels like very old, but yet very modern at the same time, if that even makes sense. But there's something about it that just, I feel like the witch actually just kind of transcends genre and it's just like it could be enjoyed by many different types of people of different um interests oh for sure like i i know people have expressed to me that they want to see it because it's considered a horror film they're like oh Mm -hmm. it's gonna really scare me and i'm like actually it's not scary like it's scary in the sense of the messages that are coming out and that's obviously something that we're gonna get into and talk about but i like i will pretty much echo all of your sentiments when it comes to why i love this film it is just so 
for me, it feels just kind of really on point with a lot of imagery about the witch and then also what a lot the witch symbolizes to a lot of women, especially in this day and age. Uh, I also find like I find I can keep going back to this movie and see something new every time you watch it. Yeah, like it's just absolutely. like it's never I'm never being it, it's not one of those films where I can go back and be like, oh, like I figured this out. I'm just like, oh, I did not see that this time around. That is really cool. Yeah, I agree. And when we watched it together for this episode, I even saw new things but I think it helps too when like you're watching it with someone and they notice something you're like oh I never even clued into that oh you're right um which there's something that you brought up about apples that we'll talk about later but that's something that I didn't even piece together so it's great to just talk to even other people about movies to just see what they saw and how they interpreted it so it's such a great great movie do you happen to have any dislikes uh, the only thing I dislike about this film are the two twins. I find them irritating. <laughs> talk they about just, children. They, yeah, talk about children. They grate them into mush. <laughs> they grate on my nerves, even yeah. though they add such a like they add an important yeah. element to the film, and they give us they're kind of like our cha- agents of chaos. This new term that Kelly has taught me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. But they are. That's the only thing I dislike about this film. Right. That's Yourself? very fair. Um, Like and dislike, and I know this is a hard dislike for so many people, which I can definitely understand, is the true authentic Jacobian language that they, they yeah. use. And like, I love authenticity. One of the big reasons why, let's say, I didn't like Lords of Chaos, the biopic about uh, Norway, the black metal scene yes. in the 90s, is nobody was Norwegian and nobody spoke Norwegian and nobody, like almost nobody had any accent. So that like just takes me right out of it. Just have this set in America, just be a different movie altogether. But like, I love authenticity. And so I love that they did all this work and the actors had to learn it. And for me, when I first saw it, I barely understood any, like maybe 50% of what people were actually saying. But, you know, with context and body language, I filled in the blanks. And after multiple, multiple watches, I can, I can understand them a little bit more. I don't think I've ever put the subtitles on per se, But when we watched it, I did eventually put the subtitles on and you can learn a lot more of the context and the depth of which this movie can go if you just put the subtitles on and and kind of see what what everybody's saying. So I know it can be if you're I find it odd to like watch a movie in English with subtitles on. I find it very distracting because like I can understand them because they're speaking English. But anyways, there's that I, I love, but it's just Sometimes, again, because I don't understand what they're saying all the time, it kind of can take me out of it. But, you know, so I love it and I dislike I like it. I don't necessarily dislike it. It's just something to bring up, I guess. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and fair enough. It's something to warn people about that, right? Because yeah. Yeah. so some people like you, someone, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, awesome, like jump in. Like, and yeah. and of course, I would automatically turn on the subtitles just because that's just yeah. how I am. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. And like, even, and I love the authenticity. And if you watch, the lighthouse those guys have a very very thick like east coast accent that you need the subtitles and i saw it for the only time that i'd seen it was in theater without subtitles so again i was like what and like slang and stuff like that so i again probably only understood 50 percent of what uh those men were saying to each other in the movie so maybe on rewatch i'll put the subtitles on and i'll actually like the movie and i'll actually like get more of what's actually going on but you know Robert Eggers, man, the authenticity, tend to the detail. It's it's pretty stellar. Yeah, I would definitely recommend that with the lighthouse. 
because when I saw it for the first time, I put on subtitles and I was just like, things that were being said, I'm just like, it's like the witch all over again. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I have very high hopes for the Northmen um, when that comes out. So that I'm going to assume it's also going to be historically accurate about Vikings and they're going to speak in a Scandinavian language. I know they have some actors that definitely look like they could be Scandinavian. Some that are. And so I'm very excited about that one. Might need the subtitles either yep. way. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into our discussion about our next fighter against the patriarchy, our sinister rebel, the witch. So we have a full two hour long episode, uh, episode four of the podcast that is all about witches and empowerment. So this is just we'll go very briefly into the historical witch um, and what she means to to all of us but check out that episode because it's intense but there's a, there's a lot of really wonderful information a lot of passion in that one so yes. our witch the archetype of the witch as we know has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years and also been used for hundreds and hundreds of years very negatively against strong free-thinking women so many years of being marginalized and demonized and during the time you know women were or generally are, you know, women are the most natural beings in the world. And so at the time they were laying the fruits of science and of nature. They were healers. They were midwives. They were abortionists, potions for healing. And the witch at the time before, before they were demonized and burned at the stake, they gave women power over their own bodies, female health issues, and, you know, boosted their self-esteem. Yeah. Which then connects us to this inversion of Satan and the witch, because when we often obviously back during the historical times whenever one would think about a witch they would automatically connect them with Satan because Satan himself or herself represents nature which is a positive thing but at the time the church had deemed as impure so you have these elements so if you have these women who are working in the sciences and then using nature and they're sharing this evidence to each other this information with other women and especially midwives to help other women relieve pain during childbirth that is an inversion of the curse that women are, were given by God <laughs> to experience pain during, during childbirth. So, of course, the church sees that as evil, as sees that as impure, and sees them as connected to Satan, which thus is a form of destruction towards the church and what they're supposed to stand for, which is power. Absolutely. And historically also seen as like this fearsome crone or hag figure with terrifying powers, terrifying, let's say in quotes, because, you know, science and healing was terrifying to very religious, very superstitious folks of the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, the witch, our free-thinking free woman was monstrous, evil, non-human. And we can definitely see this archetype of this like classic witch in the witch. <laughs> exactly. Because when we first are introduced to the image of the witch, she is living in the woods. She is of nature. She even, at one point, we believe she's transformed into the rabbit and is keeping an eye on the children and then we also see the element of when she is older you know suckling from the the breast of the goat and it's just all which is very symbolic of uh, satanic <laughs> worship as well but also that connection to nature and that connection to earth and all that it holds but then that is that again seen as gross and disgusting and impure to our christian uh fathers and as as always we bring this up so often in this podcast that women have 
historically be seen as gullible, weak, submissive, but also, you know, overtly passionate and emotional and unpredictable. Also, you know, we know uh, historically the witches, a uh, big thing and was their sexuality and they were carnal and they were lusty and they were in league with Satan because if you were that wanton with your sexuality, you must have been, you must have been in league with Satan. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> Easily recruited into Satan's cult. Witches were just essentially overall, you know, in summary, like historically connected to Satan, which I love about the witch because it just kind of brings that historical context, you know, back into it, you know, and I, I, I really appreciate that. And this idea of the witch being a rebel, really, like, when you look at the rise of satanic feminism, it came from during a time of romanticism, and a French historian, Jules Michelet, he wrote La Sociere in 1862, and it was a very it was a very anti-clerical piece of literature, but it was also celebrated the witch as not only a Satanist, but also a feminist. Mm-hmm. He saw the witch as leading political change, as women, the, you know, movement, leading as political change and social change that was being held back by the church because Satan is an ally to the arts, joy, laughter, medicine, healing, life, everything that the church condemns. Mm-hmm. And Satan brings to us through the witch the ideas of change, the renaissance science, uh, a form of feminism in which women gain power over their bodies again. And they're not a servant to the church, but they can be emancipated themselves. And so it was like we get this idea of witches becoming revolutionaries and spreading, and their ideas are spreading. And we see this also in the witch because we'll talk about this later, but always that famous scene where um, Thomason is giving a choice to choose what she wants to do, right? Mm-hmm. To live deliciously. Mm-hmm. And moving into medieval witch hunts and everything, we're a bit different. Uh, it's a bit different than how things went over here in, in Salem and the Puritans and everything in New England. So Puritans, because that's as if you've seen The Witch, you know that these are the type of people. This is not a European uh, based movie. So the Puritanical views or witches were a bit more, quote, subdued compared to the European view of witches. They were just they were just less obsessed with the vulgarity and obscenities and sexuality and the fornication and with Satan and kissing Satan's butt and, and all of that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, still the the idea of any kind of, you know, nudity or fornication with Satan by Thomason just in just in the just the concept of it is very scandalous. That's very rebellious at this time. And Puritans of New England re- did reject the idea that women were inherently Apparently sinful, but of course, still thought of Eve's lapse, you know, in the Garden of Eden, as a failure to subordinate herself to our male authority. Uh, Eve's daughters inherit her vulnerability to temptations to deliver us from evil, <laughs> involving an d- obvious defiance of our patriarchal order, which of course is essential to maintain. And we see Tom- Thomason regularly challenging that. That's the word I'm looking for. She regularly challenges that with regards to her mom, with regards to her dad, just regards to everything. Well, because especially when she stands up for herself to her father, when he's like, you know, you stole the cup, you've done this, and he doesn't like that, right? You know, yeah. if women are not, if uh, in the Puritan religion, if women are not seen as inherently evil, there's still a uh, subordination. There's still an obedience that needs to be had to the family, to the father, to the patriarchal figure who is, you know, especially in the in the witch, like Thompson's father thinks that he is better than the other Puritans back at the village, and that's why they got kicked out. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So exactly. And that was something that was very interesting. And, and I think that's where, why, when we watched the film again, and I remember that there's a lot of references to apples. And 
and the talking about you know pass uh, looking for the apple for their mother yes. and how Catherine yeah. is kind of like this Eve figure or is Thomason an Eve figure because mm-hmm. you know Caleb when he is seduced by the witch and he comes back he has an apple unlodged from his throat and that's a sign of the sin mm-hmm. and then he says that the witch's sin is all upon him and that he's like you know forgiving him that knowledge that carnal worldly pleasure mm-hmm. he because he's always asking about his faith and his questions and so that's yeah Catherine is the woman that the patriarchy demands that she be but she mm-hmm. is also repressed womanhood and she's bound yeah. to live by the demands and demeans of the patriarchy and religious society that she lives in so you can see where she kind of has like this resentment towards Thomason because Thomason mm-hmm. is young she's literally on the edge of womanhood and she's able to make a choice and I feel like that apple represents making that choice for Thomason yeah and that was what was really interesting because there's multiple moments in the movie that talk about apples and show apples and there's not a lot of color this movie I'm it's definitely far from a beige movie but it's very dark it's very bleak looking it's never ever sunny so everything is always an overcast bleak dark gray grim just the overtone is just like everything is bad yeah <laughs> what was interesting and when we're reading the the satanic feminism book our text for this episode and just the overall with our research I thought this was really interesting going back to Eve because you know that's a big figure that we talk about overall through all of these different types of you know the demon woman are lesbians and everything but Eve we always come back to Eve because like you mentioned it's it's an inversion of that story a counter reading of that story because everything can be interpreted in different ways so what I thought was really interesting is that the black ma- like black masses overall but of course we see this at the end of the witch could be seen as a redemption of Eve who has been cursed by Christianity because all of the women in the coven feel they feel the function there's no high priest she's the priest they're the she's the altar they're the you know the women they're consecrated hosts you know everybody takes communion everybody is equal essentially everybody in this coven they're equal and so the witch is like this symbol of wild feminine energy and independence and of course the subversion of this christian norm covens are run by women this is a essentially of course men can be witches but like generally speaking that's why so many women are drawn to witchcraft and wicca and and and, and magic and stuff like that because it's so empowering it's not oppressive and yeah, it's run by women. And I love that. And you see that at the end because, you know, Thomason is take like have has left her family left those terribly Mm -hmm. oppressive social norms to go be naked and free with the bunch of women and folks the feeling is so different when you are in a group of women and you are a woman yourself female (laughs) identifying there's just a different energy and like it's just something that I think is so to get sentimental here and romantic about it but it's it's very sacred and it's really wonderful and that's one of the reasons why I love the end of this movie and I love this movie it's because Thomason doesn't have any friends. And, and at the time, like, you you didn't really have friends. That wasn't a thing. You just had to work all the time. And that's just, you know, the 1800s, you know? You just, there was not a lot of playtime, you know, as we get to have now, you know? Well, and for sure, and like you said, she's so completely isolated. She doesn't even have sisterhood with her mother or her even her younger her sister, the twin. Like, her, yeah. you know, they're all, like, at each other's throats and they're all fighting. And there's that infighting that happens between women and they don't have that bond. And so what Thomason yeah. is going to get when, when she does make that decision, Decision is she gets this bond, she gets this sisterhood, she gets the support she needs, she's gonna get the guidance. And yeah. what I really enjoy too about the ending and that also that final scene with between Thomas and Satan or Black Philip, like I said, it's still re- reminiscent of Eve in the garden with the serpent. It's because he asks her, he's like, Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? Mm-hmm. Just 
And in that moment, it's like when the serpent asked Eve if she would like knowledge. Yes. And her eyes would be open. So God had lied to Adam and by saying, if you ate this apple, you would die. Whereas Satan, mm-hmm. and this is why we relate, you know, Eve and Satan and to the witches and stuff like that, as well as with Lilith, Satan keeps a promise to Eve, as well as Lilith, to give mm-hmm. them knowledge, to give them freedom. Mm-hmm. And by biting the apple, Eve didn't die. She was given liberation and a freedom of choice, whereas when she was under God, she was not given that choice. She was forced to be submissive because her husband was like, you need to lay under me because mm-hmm. you're, you you have essentially come from my rib. Mm-hmm. And with Satan, Satan saying like, no, like I'm going to give you this apple. You're not going to die, but you're going to gain knowledge and you're going to have the ability to make your own choices and move forward. Absolutely. And on this rewatch, there's many shots of Thomason praying or looking out at the camera or looking out at something. So the beginning of the film, you have Thomason, she, she prays to God for mercy and for light. And at the end to me, Satan is actually the one that provides her this light. You know, God has done literally nothing for her throughout this entire movie. And Satan is offering exactly what you said, knowledge and a good life and, and freedom and And that is so wonderful and empowering to me to see. And coming back to apples, you know, this this symbol of Eve's transgression. And it's a horrifying scene with with Caleb. It gives me the chills every time I watch it because I think stuff like that just is terrifying. People that are like deeply, deeply religious, but like maybe he was under a spell. Maybe he was Mm -hmm. possessed. Maybe it was all of these things or he was just... Maybe he's almost becoming a martyr. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> he was transcending, it seemed like. Something yeah. was going on there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, yes, he eventually vomits up, regurgitates his apple. And what I, to me, you know, he's a little boy, that beside it. But like, for me, what came to my mind is like using this apple, this symbol of Eve's a quote unquote transgression and her sin and this produce the curse on women for the rest of our goddamn lives is is for me her shoving the symbol down the throat of the patriarchy which oh, was God. through obviously the son Caleb who's a man yes so that's how I fucking saw that and I was like yes 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 <laughs> sorry little boy but yes yes <laughs> but it was true though he was perpetrating the lie of his father of his father yeah. right even Absolutely. though he's still a young boy he's still questioning his faith he's still part of that system in the sense of absolutely you continue to look for the apples right and you know Yep. And, and in a way that it still hurt Thomason in the end. And I think yeah. it's really interesting how there's people who don't like the ending, which I find yes. fascinating. I yeah. Because I think when I first saw the ending of this film, I was like, yes, yes, yes. I love this. I, and we're just was, like shouting, our arms are in the air right now, like we're watching it. But like, I absolutely did the same thing. Yeah, like it's <laughs> amazing. And I love the ending every time. It gives me chills every time. Yeah. And then when I remember reading that, there's people out there who felt betrayed by the end of the movie they didn't like the end of the movie because they felt that Thomason churned on her family to join a bunch of witches to be a Satanist and then there's mm-hmm. like and then this article that you and I read for this episode look at it and kind of said well hey wait a second the enemies are not the witches and it's not Satan it's her own family it's her own society it's you know mm-hmm. her mother mm-hmm. turns against her her brother is lusting after her we see that they're all throughout the veil the twins taunt and accuse her her father uses her as a scapegoat to hide his own failings and then at the end of the day they would rather sell her off to another family which would probably be like working in the household and probably being like sold to sex for some family member or something like that but like essentially like her life would have been over because they were just like your property your possession we're selling you off yeah but yeah at the end of this film 
we get to see Thomason make that choice for herself and say, mm-hmm. I'm going to live deliciously and I'm going to be free. Yeah. What has always stood out to me, I am of that camp. Like as soon as I saw it, I was like levitating off my couch. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is this ending in this movie? Like what has just happened? Yeah. I love it. And for me as a woman... And especially during those times, just literally being able to choose some men. Patriarchy, we'll say that as an umbrella issue because we're all affected by it. Yeah. Loves to take away our freedom of choice. And as a human being, that's what may also like one of the many things that makes us a human being is the ability to critically think and make a choice. He gave her a choice. She could have said no, but she was given a choice. Whereas prior, she had really no choices. You could leave and then be destitute and then probably for sure labeled a witch. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely, actually. Not even probably. You 100% would be. Yeah. If you're all like like living in the woods because that's the only place you can live by yourself without a family. Yeah. She would definitely become a witch then. So the fact that a woman is actually being given a choice, I don't care who is giving her the choice. Somebody, somebody is providing that to her and that is important. That is crucial and that is powerful. The ability to make a choice for yourself in your life. So I don't understand why folks don't really, I like, I guess I can get it. Like they, the people that don't like the ending say, oh, well, Satan is as a male figure. He's, you know, of course, here we are. A man's being a savior and the creator and this maker of meaning and women need to be saved. And hey, to be save yourself from this puritanical family, I'm a man and I'm going to be able to save you from this. Fine. If you want to see it that way, again, interpretations, Mm -hmm. fine. But also, and in a a, probably that same article, you know, somebody brought out kind of just uh, how Satan looks in this film. Besides coming in different forms, he's generally Black Philip, you know, an animal. But he's in black, in gold, leather, jewelry. He's very fancy, very immodest. And some people think he's queer coded. Why not? And you definitely see this because he looks like a uh, like a, a Spaniard, right? And the Spaniards were very feminine at that time mm-hmm. and into like times, l- worlds of luxury and goods. Sexuality, and absolutely. Sexuality for sure, like yep. 100%. And you could definitely see that. Also another thing too about how Satan is represented in this film is as a goat yes. and goat horns. And they brought this up in the article as well. How Ooh, often yes. goats and goat horns are associated with fertility, menstruation, the yep. crescent moon, Feminine. femininity, <laughs> all yes. connected to Satan. Oh, yes. interesting, right? Satan is a supporter of feminism and feminists. And what's a, what I really love this scene is how they took it and they looked at it and said, so see that scene when Black Philip like charges into William and injures him and causes him pain. It's like literally like sexuality and feminine power being used as a weapon <laughs> against the patriarchy in that yep. moment. And I was like, yep. reading that, I was like, yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes, our Black Philip, who is Satan, he's our satanic subversion of patriarchy and Christianity, who is trying to beat down our literal figure of patriarchy and Christianity, which is William, the dad. And per Faxnell, who who wrote the Satanic Feminism book, he had said, Horns of the devil not only signify his power, but his associations with death and the underworld and uncontrolled destructive sexuality. And... You know, she's burgeoning. She's coming into her own, her emerging freedom, sexuality, independence. And that's everything that 
women then, women now have to, like, we struggle with and we have to fight against. And yeah, that was very, very amazing. It was a great kind of little tidbit about Black Philip. Black Philip, literally, our goat is the savior. Really? Well, literally, but it's like animals. It's a very, like, for me, I find when I look at these things and I read these different interpretations and I see the witch and I see this as a very feminist film because you're getting this reimagining of the archetype of the witch, which I love because it's not softening the trope of the witch. It's not making the witch pretty. It's not making the witch, you know, beautiful. It's the witch is dirty. It's scary. It's haggard, but yet she's liberated and free. And I know we are joking a lot about how feral as women we're becoming now because of this (laughs) pandemic, but at the same time, it was like, it's also freeing. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that one point she, of course, like, so the witch uses like a glamour spell. I'll call it that from the craft um, <laughs> to make herself seem like young and beautiful as prior we seen her as that uh, the old the old crone you know probably like 75 years old and so we see her as like young and beautiful but to lure Caleb in so it's the only time we see well that particular witch anyways if we're gonna maybe it's not the same witch but we're under the you know the un- we're presuming that it is yeah she used a glamour to seduce Caleb but really like when you see her hand grab the back of his head it's like this old witch's crone hanyard. Just like it's yes, absolutely. And thinking about the end, and this is kind of like a bunch of thoughts that I had because this whole topic just makes me very excited. Mm-hmm. And all of this research and looking and analyzing all these movies, and even looking at the witch from this point of view. Like even though I, I find this movie very empowering, um, just in general as a woman, and then I can understand the archetype of the witch now more. But coming from a satanic feminist point of view, which probably I am now. It's it's just a very exciting film. So in the end, Thomason isn't afraid of the carnal, wild feminine, but she's entranced by it, obviously. And her Christ-like pose is emblematic of the death and rebirth of her as a witch. Because you see her at the end floating upwards with her arms outstretched. Right. Yeah. And I notice this really this time around, again, looking at this and analyzing it coming from this satanic feminist perspective, like the patriarch is dead. Our mother, who's the symbol of patriarchal womanhood, she's dead. You know, there's supernatural elements. There's nature, the satanic feminism in this. There's no there's no longer any power structures, even though like Satan came in and gave her this choice and she accepted this choice, wrote her name in the book and she joins this coven that in this world. Are they Satanists, Satan worshipers? I think that they are probably just in some way in league with Satan, which is fine. But it doesn't mean like he is better than them. All of these women are independent and powerful alone and even more when everybody comes together. So there's no power structures and that is hugely important again and very powerful to see, especially if you think about the time frame that these people lived in. So I feel like Thomason transcends this life and goes into another. The monster woman wasn't killed so that the cultural societal norm could return to normalcy. She lives. She did not die. Just as Lilith levitated from after her freedom from Eden. And and to me, this movie says the witch or women are satanic feminists. They can't be controlled. They cannot be contained and they will not be dominated. And that's what I get from this film. And that's why I find it so incredibly important 
I keep saying important. <laughs> it's so influential. It is crucial. It is transformative. Yeah. And that's why a lot of women and modern day witches are enjoying this film so much. And yeah. also why, you know, Satanists enjoy this film as well. Because like we, when this film first came out, the Satanic Temple came out calling this film representation of feminist liberation. So Jex Blackmore talked about this film and talks about how Thomason resists the patriarchy structure and the religious oppression on her feminine body by signing the book to follow Satan who resembles rebellion and agency and this is what satanic feminists had kind of been arguing since the romantic times it was fighting against the church it was fighting against the social hierarchies that created and supported an upper rich class God and all the rich people and oppressed all the poor people and the Satan and the witch were all about opposing this and to oppose this you know the witch she can't be held confined within those social norms her narrative is is freedom it's independence she is a rebel like satan and she wishes for more sexual rights and she wishes to criticize the hypocritical dual male standards that are placed upon women and then placed upon society and then placed upon you know the rich on the poor and so she represents Mm -hmm. this revolutionary movement that's been happening since feminism really started and even prior to feminism when people were fighting against classism absolutely Absolutely. And another big thing, and forgive me if you just mentioned this, but like reproductive rights is a huge thing for Satanists. And like we said earlier, historically, our witches were abortionists and it comes back to consent and choice, choice being the big thing that we as a human being, we should have the choice to do what it is that we want to do with our body. And that comes down to as women or female identifying folks, like our choice and our ability to choose when and if we are going to have children. So that, that's been huge for the Satanic Temple as well to, to fight for reproductive rights, especially in the U.S. where it is just a shit show. Yes. All the time. What dost thou want? What canst thou give? Wouldst thou like the taste of butter? A pretty dress? Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? Yes. Wouldst thou like to see the world? What will you from me? Dost thou see a book before thee? I cannot write my name. Should we get into Spencer's final thoughts? Let's get into Spencer's final thoughts. Okay. Well, before we round off this episode with our usual Spencer final thoughts, we wanted to extend a huge thank you to our sponsor of the podcast, Brutalities. So as Spencer's, as Justice took a sip of tea, as Spencer's, we obviously adore tea. So we really love sitting down with a horror movie and drinking a hot mug of tea. 
So if you're interested in getting some tea from Brutalities, it's really excellent tea, by the way, please use the code SPINSTER15 to get 15% off your order. For our Canadian listeners, please reach out to the company for shipping prices. To me, okay, I'm, I'm on this roll about the witch and how she is a revolutionary, but at the end of yeah. the day, we watched all these women, the, the, the succubus, the transgressive woman, and the witch. They are all elements of satanic feminism in the sense that they are all fighting against the church and the social hierarchies that are created that supported the upper caste, but oppressed the poor and then oppressed the people and oppressed everyone else in life. And this is what satanic feminism is about liberation, is about liberating, liberating women. And so reading this was really interesting for me because I grew up in a Roman Catholic household and I was educated to fear Satan and I remember sitting in a church listening to sermons and imagining what hell was like and thinking about this infernal ruler like presiding over these sinners and being terrified and that the devil was everywhere and if I deviated from this Christian past I was in trouble. It was a funny thing though is that as I learned from my religious upbringing I actually learned a lot about the story of Lucifer and his fall from heaven and I started doing more research and learning about Lilith and about this different aspects of Satan, Lucifer and the devil and how he's a very complex being being and this is that and what i had always known as the catholic interpretation of satan was literally so simplistic of just creating a boogeyman to keep followers in line and under control so as i began to learn about religious cultures and different interpretations of the devil and how something that doesn't happen to be part of the uh, christian message often gets chalked up to the work of the devil and i've learned and also witness as well experience how superstitious belief can hurt people and damage lives so when i started to see satan not as a bad guy i was supposed to believe this being as being something else something that humanity needed a symbolic dual nature that keeps life in balance with our checks and balances so when I learned about satanic feminism and how progressive it was and how it belongs to these people like myself, the outsiders, people on the fringes of society, I learned, I just learned that Christianity was really tending to just be more of a stumbling block for the individual and for our collective liberties. And this is why seeing Satan as an ally is kind of like important and kind of really interesting because he is the rebellious one who questioned the absolute authority of God and challenged him by allowing the angels to have a concept of free will and choice. So Satan is about liberty, free will and choice. And the witches' alignment with Satan, women's alignment with Satan is about reframing that to show the strength of female power and the refusal to accept the negative symbolism that the church has used since the time of Eve to highlight the supposed bad aspects of womanhood, the lesbian, the demonic women, the witch. They are the new rebels. They work with Satan to oppose historical oppression of the church and the societal norms that are extremely misogynistic and discriminating to anyone deemed as other. Satanism, satanic feminism is a language of political resistance. And while it may not speak to some, it does for others and it should be recognized as well as respected. Hail Satan. As an atheist with zero spiritual beliefs, I have come to realize how much power exists in symbols. This is what satanic feminism is is all about. It's about finding power in the symbol of Satan and our witch, Eve, Lilith, and Succubus. It's about subverting century-old beliefs into modernized revisions where women can feel empowered. Satanic feminism is the alternative to patriarchal Christianity. Satanic women have agency, and with that agency comes self-worth. Though many women are villainized in these films, even in the ones that we watched and talked about today, they can still be symbols of strength for women. The witch. The most recognizable symbol of independence and freedom. The witch is fierce and can't be controlled, contained, or dominated. 
Thomason isn't afraid of the carnal, wild feminine, but entranced by it. Her Christ-like pose is emblematic of the death and rebirth of her as a witch. The demon woman. She is an agent of chaos in a man's world. All fear her beauty, charm, and mystery. Jennifer is a god. Even Lilith. The church and hegemonic readings of the Bible have prevented the emancipation of women for years, for years. Eve and Lilith use satanic pride to break the chains of conformity to become liberated women of wild feminine abandon. So when I started my final thoughts, I said, hail Satan. <laughs> Through our analysis and discussion, I can understand the reasoning behind this controversial, highly blasphemous statement. But, and again, we really just scratched the surface on this topic of satanic feminism. But my final words to all those that are listening, especially to all those that have been oppressed for centuries. In book two of Paradise Law, Satan says to the fallen angels, awake, arise, or be forever fallen. So really, Hail thyself. And that ends our episode on satanic feminism. We want to thank Dance with the Dead for our intro and outro music, Robies, and for Brandon for all of the work on our promotional materials, and also to everyone who listens to us and support us. And we want to remind you to follow us on our website, spinstersofhorror.com, Facebook, Spinsters of Horror, and our Facebook coven group, Spinsters of Horror Coven. Uh, we are also on Twitter at Horror Spinsters. We are on Instagram at Spinsters of Horror as well. Please rate and review us on iTunes so we can get the show out to more listeners, but also on soundcloud stitcher and any other podcasting app you listen to us on we do have merch so please go to t public and look up spinsters of horror to purchase our t-shirts and buy stickers from the shop and donate we do have a donation button folks so if you like what we do you're welcome to press that button but folks until then please remember the future of fear is female <laughs>